coming. I'm going to show you something in just a moment that may trouble you, but it's about that question. Do we honor the message of the book more than we honor the book itself? The cover, the pages, the ink. I don't know if you were aware of it. I've asked someone earlier this morning, were you aware that there was a big Satanist gathering in Boston? Anybody saw that? How many saw that? I can't be the only one that saw that. In May, well, the latter part of April, I think it was, it was called the largest gathering of Satanists. Maybe, I, mean, I just saw it on the news feed. I wasn't trying to find it. But there's something that uh, was posted on some YouTube channels, and I took, I took a look at it. And um, it was, it was, they claimed it's the biggest Satanist gathering ever in the history of the U.S. Part of their celebration of what they believe in was this young lady, after declaring her allegiance to Satan, started tearing a Bible into pieces. This is just a still shot. Um, the... The interesting thing was, and I, and I watched the video in a couple of different, uh, there's, I think Hannah Williamson is a, is a Christian lady on uh, YouTube. I subscribed to her, and she had this, and she kind of talked about it and responded to it. But it's kind of interesting when you see the video. She had trouble tearing some of the pages out. <laughs> I want to ask you, how do you feel when you see that? To be honest with you, I didn't really have a dramatic reaction to that because I really think it shows them that they are not sure about what they believe in. If you have to attack the opposite of what you believe in, then you're not really sure about what you believe in. Are you following me? And I think probably, let's just put it in a different... How do you think the reaction in this country would be if she pulled out a Quran and started tearing it to pieces? More than likely, the city police of Boston would probably come into the building and stop it. Now, that lets you know where we're at, right? But I, I really think this picture shows us, do we respect the message of this book more than the material of the book. And I think when we have a, we, we have to look at what is my reaction, what is my reaction, what did I think about what, really I feel sorry for the lady. Because I think she's trying to reinforce something that she knows is true. It's just like my son talking to me about atheists on the campus when he did some evangelism. I, I think they were down in Louisiana, the Chi Alpha went on uh, the spring break and did some ministry and he said daddy I never understood why atheists are so mad about God not existing it seems like they're all mad they're angry about it about someone who doesn't exist I said well it's probably because they know he exists they just wished he didn't and they just wish there was no accounting at the end of the way I hope that we would have more concern about the message of this book the message of what Billy Graham says the Bible says not the book but the bible says god this is god's word it's in print but this is god's word i want you to listen to what paul wrote in the last letter he was going to write 
And he knew, he knew when he was writing this letter to Timothy that he was scheduled to be executed. This is why he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, there's laid up for me a, a crown of righteousness. He knew, he knew that it was over for him, that all of those was past tense. He said, I've, I've I fought a good fight. I've done all of that. Now I know that the finish line is right here in front of me. So this is something he wrote to him, and this is in chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture, this is not surprising to you, all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired of God, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Billy Graham has a unique place in history. There's, I doubt anybody will ever come behind him and have the effect he's had. He, he's now with the Lord. But as a kid growing up in the 1960s, and I can kind of date myself here, in 1960 I was nine years of age, so you can do the math on that. And television, I remember us getting our first television, an old black and white, and uh, very few sports events was on television, very few sports events. But the Yankees had their own network, New York Yankees. Now, all you who wish I was an Atlanta Braves fan, I'll just have to tell you, I did see the Braves play when I was a kid in Cincinnati. They were known as the Milwaukee Braves. So this kid in Alabama was not going to support the Milwaukee Braves. So it never happened in this transition. But when you have the Yankee dynasty in the 1960s, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Elston Howard, Moose Skyron, Whitey Ford, all of those, you just like, you pick the winner, right? That's what kids do. They pick the winner. But there was something we saw on a uh, Billy Graham crusade that locked me into one particular member on the New York Yankees team. Anybody want to take a, a guess who that is? Bobby Richardson, the second baseman. Not one of the better players. He was, in fact, I think he still may have a World Series record for how many hits. I don't know, that might be broken by now. But Bobby Richardson, when I saw a New York Yankee superstar in my eyes tell about Jesus I was like wow and we had baseball cards the only card I kept was a Bobby Richardson card and some of you that rode bicycles back in that day we had a neat way of making our bikes sound pretty good we'd take clothespins and put baseball cards on the frame so that it'll flap a little bit and make them sound but Bobby Richardson gave his testimony in four different Billy Graham crusades about how he had come to Jesus. And everybody on that team, I came to find out, had a respect for his faith. When people like Muscara and some of those who had like salty language would get upset about striking out and come to, the, come to the dugout and there'd be expletives flying out of their mouth and they'd look over at Bobby and says, oh, Bobby, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry about saying all of that. But it was the Bible that Billy Graham was preaching out of, that all of these people were coming to the Lord. Salvation's right and left. 
Paul's note to Timothy was that all scripture, all of this book is inspired of God. There's not a word in here that has not had God's approval to be in here. It's totally from God. John would write the revelation of Jesus Christ as the last book of the Bible. And it was like way after what Paul, Paul could not have been referring to his own letter there. Are you following me? He had to be referring to the Old Testament. The Old Covenant, how God had spoke through all of those voices. I doubt if Paul understood that what he was writing to Timothy would be one day in the same level as the Old Testament. That this would be the New Testament, the New Covenant of God. I just hope that we would have a greater love for God's Word to the point that we just find ourselves not, not satisfied with what we know about it. That we would continue to glean and learn and read and say, God, show me, reveal to me what you're saying here. This is, an ama- this is really an amazing study looking at the Word of God. Textual criticism is a study of the manuscripts from which we get this English translation of the Bible. It is God's Word. It is His voice in print. The 39 books in the Old Testament, Jesus confirmed those as being of God. Listen to what he said in Matthew 22. I'm not going to read it out word for word. But the Pharisees came to Jesus asking him, you know, and and they were trying to trap him. And they came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? You remember that? Matthew 22. And uh, they were wanting to kind of trap him out of the ten. They were really, I think, referring to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. He says, what is the greatest commandment? Well, you know what he said to him, right? The greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind. But he added a second one, right? And there's a second one. Isn't that just the way the Lord handles some of these people? <laughs> he gave them more than what they wanted. And to love your neighbor... As yourself, and he said this all the law and the prophets are consumed in that commandment. When you do those two commandments, you're fulfilling all the law, and that's where they're trying to trap him. Is what part of the law would you think is the greatest? And he doesn't reply to them the way they expected him to. And later on, in another passage, He gives them in Luke 24, and this is toward the end of his ministry. This is is after his resurrection. And I want you to see this. I think we have this on the screen. Luke 24, verse 44. And I'm saying this is right before he leaves them. He says this about the old covenant. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, And the Psalms. You hold, when we hold this Bible in our hand, we hold the entirety of God's message to us today. This book is entirely God's Word. Everything about it is His Word. The Pentateuch, the first five books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the prophets, the wisdom literature, the Psalms, the Proverbs, all of those, He says, all of that is fulfilled in front of you. I've lived it out. About two months ago, isn't it interesting when the Satanists are having a big 
party in Boston, something else is going on in New York City. Slothby's had an auction two months ago. Anybody hear that news? It was called the Codex Sassoon. And I think we have a picture of it. Um, this is this is a uh, a codex. It, I say a codex. Codex was the way they wrote out the scripture and they stacked the pages on top of each other before book binding. And these pages were like 13 inches by 15 inches, but it was bound here because they they put it in a book form. It's a ninth century copy of the scripture. This item that you see. You can go on Slothby's and you can see the, the starting bid. I'll just give you the parameters. The starting bid was 30 million to 50 million. Starting bid was 30 million. It sold for 38.1 million dollars. A copy of the Bible that you and I could not read. It's all in Hebrew. But a former U.S. ambassador to Romania, Albert Moses, and boy, that ought to give give it away, (laughs) that a Jewish man bought that for $38.1 million and immediately gave it to a museum in Tel Aviv, Israel. And people believe that it should have went for more than that. Can I tell you, it's really priceless. To have that from the ninth century, the ninth century, in that, in that good a condition, is priceless. This is God's word in Hebrew. And it gets even better than that. Since we're speaking of codex, there's, a mul- there's multi- the multiple codexes that fit this. This is a page out of the, the codex Sinaiticus. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Let me tell you how this was discovered. And you can leave it up there because I'm going to give the date on this. And look how readable that is. And you can just kind of think, well, how old is that? I'm about to tell you in just a moment. And listen, this might be boring to you, but I like doing this. (laughs) So, you know, you you might fall asleep and somebody else can say, that that was okay. But this 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 is, let me tell you something. They can tear this book in front of a a camera, but they can't tear the authenticity of it up. It's going to outlast them. It's outlast all of the the atheists that predicted that the demise of Christianity was going to be no more. The Bible is going to be extinct. There's Voltaire prophesied as an atheist. The Bible is not going to mean anything in 100 years. And he's been dead a good while, and here we are. Still the bestseller out there. But when the finding on this is amazing. In 19 or 1844, a German Bible scholar, a student in Germany, uh, Constantine von Tischendorf. How about that? You can look him up. He got so interested in biblical history, he decided to travel to Israel and just see what he could find. Any artifacts or anything like that. And he stopped at a, you can look this up, St. Catherine's Monastery. Uh, It's there in the Sinai Peninsula. This is why this is called the Codex Sinaiticus, because it was found 
in the Sinai Peninsula area in Israel. So he's in this monastery, and he's just there kind of doing menial tasks and just trying to get whatever information. And he sees these pages off to the side. He said, boy, that looks really old. And he starts talking to the monks, and they see that he's a little interested in it, and they're, they're getting a little bit more protected about it. And he, he convinces them to let him take 43 pages of this back to Germany. When he gets back to Germany and examines it, he said, this is really very old. We're talking about 1840-something, and this is a 4th century document. This was handwritten. This is a almost a totally complete Greek New Testament and Greek Old Testament. He said, why was it? Because... Greek was the language of that day, and they started copying the Old Testament in Greek because all the scholarship was in Greek. So this, is, this was a major find. He goes back to try to get more, and they said, we can't find anything. He goes back a third time, and he's about to give up, and somebody comes out and says, you know, I want to show you where some of these may be. Takes him into a room, and there is the, the crown jewel. Almost all of the rest not the complete Old Testament. It's kind of thought that maybe some of them took some of the old pages to, to start a fire in the fireplace. Now, why would he... They were just laying around. It's like these monks didn't even realize that it was a 4th century document. This is the Codex Sinaiticus. And it's, it's one of the prized possessions. He had to convince... This, is, um, this was a Russian Orthodox monastery... And he had convinced them, if you let me have this, I'll give it to the czar of Russia. And that's what convinced them to let him have it. And then Russia sold it to the British Museum for about 100,000 pounds in, in their currency. So I, I just want to tell you that this is, this, is the, this is a priceless document that lets us know, 4th century, the book you have in your hand is rock solid. It comes from so much textual evidence that what was written in the New Testament in the times of Peter and Paul and, and all the gospel writers was recorded just a few years in complete books, which is unheard of. I want to take you to one more picture here. And, uh, uh, and I want to ask you, do you recognize that picture? Anybody want to take a guess? I don't have any prize to give you, but. Yes, Qumran. This is cave four of the Qumran. Priceless discovery. Now, here's, here's the story behind this. Some teenage Bedouin shepherds. These, these were native shepherds to Israel. This is 1946 or somewhere along in there. Cave 4 is about 90% of the scrolls were found in that. They, most of the caves where these were at were like that. They were over on a peak where you had to let somebody down with a rope just to crawl in there. But these Bedouin shepherds was out, and of course, what does is, what is little boys do? They throw rocks. And they were throwing rocks trying to hit this cave. And all of a sudden, one went in, and they heard something shatter. 
Well, they devised a way to get in there, and they found this old stuff. They came out. They took it into town, sold it. It's like, you know, you want to buy this? We found this. And, and some guy actually brought some scrolls over to New York and posted an ad in the New York Times for hardly anything. And then as they got more and more, 10 years, they, they went in and started looking in all these caves, and there were maybe 800 different sources of just every, every book in the Bible in the Old Testament, I'll put it that way, in the Old Testament was found, some portion of it was found in those caves, all except, I think, um, Esther was the only one. But everything else was either had fragments in it, but there was the jewel, the crown jewel of the find was the Isaiah scroll. A complete scroll of Isaiah, intact. I'm going to show you a picture here of how well this scroll was kept. This is an actual picture. Anybody want to guess the date of the Isaiah scroll? Let's just say it was written... 200 years before Jesus. 200 years before Jesus. Jesus preached from a scroll of Isaiah in his hometown synagogue. And they could not believe that they, they kept them in canisters. And nobody knows who left them there. But one thing I think we can assume is that they put them in a place where they didn't think anybody was going to find them. In these remote places. When you get to going through them, and the, what you're looking at is the page of, of Isaiah 53. And look, and it's exactly 200 years before Jesus. That's 21, over 2,100 years ago, that document was handwritten an entire scroll of Isaiah, and it matches Isaiah word for word that you have in your Bible. I just, I, maybe this doesn't excite you, but it excites me. And maybe I just need to come in here and preach this on a day when nobody's here, and I can just <laughs> let go and just get, it, get all that's in me out of me and not worry about anybody's estimation of what I'm saying. But what I wanted to do is I want you to treasure the book that you have in your hands. And what Billy Graham said over and over and over in his message, the Bible says, the Bible says, it still matters what the Bible says. Still matters. And this book is a dangerous book. It is a dangerous book. This book is looked on by some governments as a dangerous book. Voice of Martyrs says there's 52 countries in the world that in some form or fashion are opposed to the Bible being in their land or being distributed in their land. Some, in some nations, it's illegal to have a copy of this book. A place like North Korea, it's illegal. A tourist, why anybody want to go to North Korea, I don't know, but... They isolated this person going into a men's room, leaving a Bible in the men's room. 
somewhere in North Korea, and they arrested him and put him in prison because he left a Bible. Years ago in the Soviet Union, they were smuggling Bibles in because it was not legal to take a Bible in to the old Soviet Union. But 52 countries, why would 52 countries make the Bible either illegal or restricted? Is because they know this book sets you free. This book tells you the truth. This book transforms people's lives. I hope and pray that we'll have a greater hunger, a greater thirst. Yesterday was a one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision. And from the time that the Roe v. Wade decision came down, and my mother could not believe that this country would legalize abortion. She just couldn't fathom. She had six children, one miscarriage. She just could not fathom that a country like America would okay the killing of life in the womb. Again, this is why this Bible is under assault because it challenges things like that. It tells us that life is sacred that this book is more important than your politics, than any politics. This book will outlast everything else. The scripture says heaven and earth will pass away. The constellations that we see in this planet we're on right now is all going to be wiped away, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But the one thing that will survive all of that is this right here. He said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, he said, my word will never pass away so I like for the praise team to come back up again this Bible is under assault in our world today regarding marriage regarding children regarding all kind of issues it's like I shared a little bit Wednesday night from Jeremiah 1 how everything has kind of been turned upside down in our world and we have to go back to this book the Bible speaks in a way that we can fully understand what he's saying. And we have to plant our feet on this book. I'm, I just believe that some of us have kind of taken this book for granted. I'm, how many copies of the Bible do you have? I'm, not, I'm just not asking you for an answer, but I probably couldn't count. I know it's in double digits in my office alone. That's not even at my house. In different translations, and, and you know, to me, I can't get rid of a Bible. I have my daddy's Bible that he gave me when I went off to college, and he said, Son, I can't read this anymore. It's a Zondervan Mark reference Bible. He said, The print is too little for me, so I'm going to give it to you, and you can use it in Bible college. The print is now too little for me. <laughs> but the, the cover. The whole thing would fall out if I tried to open it with the cover. It's detached from the cover. But I look at that Bible and I see his notes and I see my notes next to his notes. And I just, it's, I don't worship that, but I honor that. I honor it because it's, it's never changed. From the time he read it after he got saved and handed it to me for me to use in Bible college. And now it's in my office. I, I know exactly where it's at. 
And sometimes I'll pull it out. It's, it's like four different colors, references, and it, and it matches subjects with that color. And all through the Bible, it's amazing. Mark, the Zondra and Mark reference Bible. It was a wonderful Bible. I just wish I could read it now. But I, I want us to have a greater hunger for this book. This book will heal your life. It will heal your family. It will deliver us from stuff that we know that this book tells us. We have to let it go. We have to turn from some of the things we're doing and some of the attitudes that we have. And God will convict us if we say, Lord, show me where I'm out of line with this book. And he will show you. He'll show me where we need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. That's the wrong attitude. This book tells me otherwise. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I pray this morning for your truth. This book is true. That it will speak to our souls as to where we are in a place that we pretty much know this is not where you want us to be. Whether it's an attitude, whether it's an activity, decisions that we're making, decisions that we're allowing, this book is for our healing and sometimes it has to operate on us and excise out of our lives stuff that doesn't belong in our mind in our souls, in our bodies that you just didn't save our soul you saved our minds you saved our bodies We, as an entity we belong to you you purchased us with your own blood and I pray today Lord for anyone in this room and it's in a way that if they're in a place that they know that there's something wrong there's something out of sort here may your word bring a wave of power unlike anything else that can touch our hearts Lord a wave of your power that moves us from the rut that we're in God has an answer for you and he has help for you and if that's you I want you to just come out and stand down here at the front and say Lord I need to be pried out of where I'm at I need I need to walk differently in that particular place in my life because he wants he wants us he wants us whole he wants us complete Lord, I pray that we would surrender stuff to you that's just hanging on us. And you don't want us to be attached to that. If you want prayer, I want you to just come and join me right here. We're going to pray. Surrender all that stuff to him.